Welcome to the Global Marketing Show, the podcast for all things international business. I'm your host, Wendy Pease, president of Rapport International and a translation expert. Come along with me today as we talk to an expert in the global marketing world about facing their biggest fears, hearing about mistakes they made or saw, discussing best practices, and sharing fun travel language and culture story. Hello, and thanks for joining the Global Marketing Podcast. Max Sutherland is with us today, and this is going to be a fascinating conversation because he is president and CEO of the Atlanta World Trade Center. And before that, he's hold, held global uh, positions for some really well-known companies like Citicor, Chase Manhattan, KPMG, Deloitte. He's also been an entrepreneur. So he's got a wealth of experience to talk about uh, today. So we're going to learn a ton. Hi, Max. How are you today? Wendy, how are you? Thank you for inviting me. It's good to be on here. Thank you. Oh, I'm so excited to hear about all your stories and experiences and recommendations. Love to start out with how you got involved with global business. It's not normal for people to, to do it unless they've had some experience early on. So I'm curious if you did. So it is actually a very interesting story. Uh, this actually goes way back to my childhood. I was very fortunate having grown up in a, uh, a very uh, Germanic household. My mother was from Germany. All the relatives still live in Germany. So I spent uh, most of my summers uh, overseas, a lot of the winter vacations, lived and worked in Paris a couple of times, uh, all before I even graduated from college. So I, I had already this international background as a child, and I was being groomed uh, very, from very early on to enter the diplomatic corps. I had an incredible experience while I was in college that opened my eyes up to the fact that uh, the diplomatic corps doesn't really achieve as much as I had hoped in order to bring back, bring around global change. And I realized that it's more the, the global corporations that have the greatest impact on, on uh, impacting and affecting change around the world. That's fascinating to me because I think I ran into, I don't know if I've articulated it, but had that same kind of feeling. So tell me more about what you saw between the diplomatic versus the business. <laughs> Another great, a great story. Um, a friend of mine in college, her father was uh, a, a diplomat and at the time acting ambassador. He was chargé d'affaires and acting ambassador, U.S. acting ambassador to Prague, Czechoslovakia. And I was uh, traveling to Germany for uh, the Christmas holidays. She was traveling to Prague uh, for the same holidays uh, to spend with her family. And they had invited me to spend that week between Christmas and New Year's with them in Prague. And I accepted. And when I arrived, uh, in addition to showing me everything, they had put me up. Uh, not because they had family visiting them from around the world. They didn't have enough room in their house that was on the compound. So they put me up in the ambassador's official residence. The, the ambassador had been recalled 
and that's why her father was the acting ambassador. The official residence is a 76-room, 17th-century French-style palace, the the, Petche, the Villa Petchek, uh, and it was purchased after uh, the war in 1946 by the U.S. government, furnished with a million dollars worth of uh, antiques to fill the place. And it is the most elaborate uh, residence for any U.S. ambassador anywhere in the world. And I got to experience this with full staff by myself because they had, they had their house. And uh, it was an incredible experience. And it made me realize that, oh, my God, only it, uh, very few career diplomats ever make it to this level. And it is a, a political appoint, appointments that... Uh, get these kinds of of uh, assignments, and they usually come from the corporate world. And the more I thought about that, the more I realized that uh, there was the Coca-Colas of the world, the IBMs, uh, the the big banks. They're the ones who are able to uh, influence and impact cultural and political change around the world much more than the diplomatic corps, which tends to to move at a much slower pace. So I opted to go into uh, business instead. So when I returned to the United States after vacation, I added uh, international economics as my second major. My original major was uh, political science, international political science. And I added economics as, as my second major. So I had a double major degree and uh, was able to then go into business with that economics degree. So you learned real early on as a college student to identify. Very lucky. Yeah. Very lucky. Okay. So you mentioned early on that you're from Germanic, you know, your parents spoke German or tell me a little my, bit more about that. My mother was born German. She was born in Germany and my parents met in Germany in the fifties and uh, emigrated to Canada before coming to the United States. And all the relatives still live on my mother's side, still live in Germany. So did you grow up speaking German in the house? I grew up speaking uh, German and English at the same time. I actually did not realize I was speaking two different languages until I went to first grade because I knew that with my father, I had to speak a certain way, which was English. I knew that when my grandmother and, and other relatives visited from Germany, I spoke to them a certain way. And with my mother, my mother actually taught me how to go back and forth between the languages without thinking. And as a result, I was able to do that. So with my mother, I went back and forth between the two languages at the same time, in the same sentence many, many times. So how good is your German now? So I, my my daily my my daily German my my conversational German is really good. Uh, my uh, my business German I, I think needs uh, some refresh. Uh, I need to brush back up on that again. Uh, reading is pretty good. Watching TV, uh, it depends on which dialect I'm listening to. The Bavarian dialect is easier for me to understand than the dialect from say Berlin or North Germany. Um, because my mother was from Nuremberg and I, I grew up not only or spent those, those summers and winters not only in Nuremberg but south of, of Nuremberg outside of Regensburg. So I was very fortunate, excellent, a very, very fortunate childhood.
It really is because that opens your mind so much when you learn multiple languages. Did you ever get formal training in writing and reading of the language? I, I did in French. Uh, my, my grandmother uh, uh, was like my Auntie Mame and she took me all over Europe uh, to show me these different cultures and the different things uh, that was available uh, and important to see in Europe. Um, for French, I did receive the formal uh, uh, classroom training. With German, I, in high school, the first high school I went to did not offer German. The second high school did. First year German was too easy. So they advanced me immediately to second year. That was also too easy. Uh, when I went to college, I tested out of 16 hours of credit, uh, 16 credit hours in German. And I advanced immediately into uh, third year, uh, 300 level German courses and took a, a literature course. So was it easy? It wasn't easy for me. Um, it didn't give me a lot of that foundational grammar that I, I needed, but I self-taught myself as a result. And okay. I got a lot of that teaching from the family as well. So I did not have that formal classroom training. I received that from the family. And my okay. grandmother was very insistent that we speak high German. That's fantastic because a lot of people that grow up in a family bilingual like that outside of their country learn to speak it, but they don't learn the proper grammar and writing. So it sounds like you had enough exposure to that that, that really helped. Yeah, and I text my cousins all the time. Uh, so I, we, we text in German all the time. Uh, it makes it easier for them, and it, it, it's good practice for me. And it's also interesting to see how you could separate out where your German was good, where you'd need a refresher, you know, and where you might not be as capable. Because that's a really hard thing to explain to people in global marketing or do it, getting translation, that it's not everybody who's bilingual that can handle your translation. Because something highly you know, technical is somebody different that could do your marketing translations, even if both people speak the language. Well, that's correct. And so one of my first jobs out of college uh, here in the United States, you know, I worked as an interpreter in Paris a couple of times, but <laughs> back here in the United States, one of my first jobs was as a translator. And I actually was responsible for, this was at Citicorp, and I was responsible for tran translating business and legal documents from French, German, and Italian into English. And I would translate, I, I would translate English correspondence um, letters from English into French, German, and Italian. I would not do the legal route uh, at all. I would only do legal from the foreign language into English, but not vice versa. So that gave me a, a lot of uh, experience as well, as well. My, my, my uh, business German and business French back then was far better than it is today because I don't use it as much. But uh, having that insight, and yes, you're right, uh, when I, when I uh, was promoted up to higher level positions and was a, an account manager responsible for Europe, Middle East, and Africa, and I managed all the German, French, and Italian accounts, speaking accounts, where other account ma managers, and this was back in the day of snail mail, hmm. other uh, account managers were, were writing to the accounts to get things resolved. I was picking up the phone and calling 
the accounts on the phone and speaking to them in their language to get things resolved. So I was able to get things resolved in two weeks where other managers couldn't get them resolved in six months. Uh, huge difference to be able to not only speak the language, but communicate and understand their, their cultural expectations and their, and their, and their cultural sensitivities. And knowing that the Germans work best when you just lay everything out on the table, <laughs> the French work best when you give them a back door uh, to save face because they may be at fault with an issue, but if you if you say if you phrase it in the in the form of uh, except for mistake on my part, there is an issue here, and and, and as long as you leave the door open that the mistake can be anybody's fault, not theirs, they they're very collaborative and they work with you. And I, and I was able to get things resolved very quickly. Another good, another good example of this is when I was at KPMG and we had a, uh, a co-development project initiative that we were doing with KPMG and, and uh, between KPMG and SAP, which is one of the large global uh, ERP, it's the, the largest ERP application in the world. And uh, we were doing a customer profitability solution uh, and working with, uh, with SAP was not an easy um, endeavor or venture because German versus the, uh, the American team, uh, we presented an, an excellent uh, model for them to develop. And when the executives were, executive to executive were talking to each other, top KPMG and top SAP executives were talking and, and, and negotiating the terms. At one point, there was a breakdown in communication. And mm. the Americans walked out of the meeting with the Germans. And the project stalled for about two or three months. Mm. At that time, there was a, a death in my family that I had to return to Germany. And I offered to uh, meet with Germ with uh, SAP executives in Waldorf and see if I could get this back on track. And single-handedly, <laughs> I'm flying to Germany on the way to a funeral. I drove out quickly to meet with executives at Waldorf. And because of not only my, my ability to speak German, but to uh, even throw in a few dialect words that are very unique to Nuremberg and Bavaria, that they recognized this and they were very impressed. They said, how is this that an American can not only speak German without an American accent, but knows these, these dialect yeah. words. And as a result, they opened up to me. I opened up to them. I laid all the cards on the table. I told them what the expectations were. If after an hour and a half meeting, I was able to nail them down to next steps, timeframes and deliverables. And when I flew back to New York, we were in the driver's seat. That solution, that customer profitability solution today is now part of their CRM module. See, and that's fantastic. And I can see where your ability to work with people, your language skills, your training, you know, your undergrad and your MBA, like all that helps with being successful in global business. 
what do you do when you have somebody that doesn't speak the language or understand the culture? Because hearing all, you know, like your capabilities could be quite intimidating to other people, but you know the opportunity that's out there for global business. So what do you say to people that want to be successful? Certainly. And, and you know, that that's actually a very good question because those individuals that don't have that insight need to gain that insight. They need to get that training and they need to uh, experience and associate and, and uh, join these organizations that provide them that opportunity. So there are a number of opportunities, a number of organizations that exist out there, whether they're uh, binational chambers of commerce, uh, you can join one of their chambers of commerce, learn their culture that way, because it is typically that, that community, uh, that, um, that national community that lives in that area that comes together frequently. There may be locals as well, but there are a lot of national born uh, individuals that are part of that uh, chamber that have come from their home country to this location and are looking to um, expand businesses either back to their home country or for businesses there to expand here. So they have a lot of events and that's a great way of kind of immersing yourself in that environment. Okay. So w w your point there is it's a lot of cultural. You don't have to learn or know all the languages, but you do have to understand the culture and how to get along and build a network. Yeah, I think by observing, by attending events and observing how these different cultures interact mm -hmm. and then getting, but I think there's also the importance of having some formal education around this, some formal instruction, whether it's from a cultural institute or a language institute, or it's taking classes at your local community college or university. I think there are a number of opportunities there or through your own network who you might know who can give you insights. Right. Um, and there's all okay. sorts of consultants. And right. I like the idea of the binational chambers. I mean, I've done a lot of the events here in Boston with the ones that we have, and it's, it's fascinating. It's really great. Right. Okay, so that handles the culture. There's a way to do about that, to handle that and learning about it. Now, how about language? Well, language is, a, it's a different story. I mean, you have to either learn the language or at least learn words that impress at least basics of thank you, please, uh, pleased to meet you. How do you do those kinds of things where you can at least say something and show that you're you're making taking the initiative at least to learn a few words. I think that's very important. I've been to uh, markets uh, where I don't speak the language. Uh, example, Spain. I, I did a launch in Spain. I don't speak Spanish, but I, I was familiar enough with the European customs and cultures that I was able to communicate uh, and I knew of enough words from junior high Spanish that I could say a few things, right? So they, they appreciated that. I also learned some of the, um, the dialect pronunciations, such as in the Barcelona area, uh, they pronounce their C's different than the rest of, the, of Spain does. So when you throw those kinds of things in, it impresses them. I've been to, I, I've uh, had to be, I've had to fly to uh, uh, the Philippines a few times on business. And I don't speak 
They speak Spanish, they speak English, and they do speak their native language, Tagalog. T Tagalog, yeah. I do not speak that at all. Uh, I learned a couple of words. Uh, I did not hear much Spanish at all. Thankfully, they do speak English. But I also show the respect for their culture and their customs. And I, I presented myself very professionally. Uh, I did not touch uh, individuals. Uh, I shook hands. That was it. Uh, I kept that, that personal space. And I think that's very important. And once they understand that, I, uh, I was able to get through without any issues. I had, uh, you know, I did have um, bodyguard and driver, uh, which also assisted me and protected me in a lot of areas. But when we would go through gatehouses, I saluted uh, the, the, uh, the guards who stood there. And as a result, they stood to attention. They, they clicked their heels and they saluted me back, which that's, that's, that showed them that I respected them. And, uh, and they returned the respect, which was great. Now, did you ever go to a country where you needed to work with an interpreter? Um, or in a situation? I would say Spain was probably the, uh, the place where I needed uh, an interpreter more frequently than anywhere else. Um, but other than that, I'm trying to think. In Czechoslovakia, I did not have that issue because I was surrounded by uh, U.S. Uh, staff and personnel. But at the same time, all of the the, the other diplomatic or foreign diplomatic corps or individuals, they were very eager to speak English. Oh, okay. So a lot of the business you really could do yes. with English speaking. Has become, English has become that uh, business language. Um, yes, it is. And a lot of people that are doing um, business can, yet in marketing, all the research is showing that if you really want to be successful, translate your website, your marketing material. Did you get into that? I did not personally know. That wasn't your area, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I dabbled in marketing, but I did not get to that level. Uh, I did more marketing strategies as opposed to uh, uh, any kind of translations. However, with the World Trade Center Atlanta, I do know because I'm wanting to expand our our reach around the world, and I know that there I've un, I've come to understand that there are different search engines around the world. There's not just one Google search engine that covers the entire globe, but there are literally, uh, there's a Google uh, search engine for North America. There, there's one for uh, Europe. There's one for Asia. There, and there are perhaps different search engines for Asia that are even more popular than Google or more readily available than Google. And, it, and you actually have to get registered with all these different search, en search engines around the world if you hope to be found with just using keywords as opposed to the name only. Right, exactly. And you have to know, and Google has some right. problems with, um, with accessibility in China. Um, right. It's more blocked. So you really do have to be careful about that. But I think it also goes back to your keywords. That is definitely not a pure word for word translation. It's doing just as much research on that as you do with your, you know, original or English uh, keyword. 
keywords. Yeah, so speaking of words, what would be the words that you'd recommend? You said, please, thank you, nice to meet you. I'd probably add in hello. What are, what are do you think that's about what you need to know or what would you think? So, so I, would, uh, I would usually include something that demonstrates or shows your humility. And if that's either something that is a little bit uh, self-deprecating, that uh, you know I'm 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 still learning or I'm struggling, uh, I'm not as good as I would like to be uh, in this language. Um, I think that is very important uh, because a lot of cultures really respect humility. That's a good point. Yeah, because I've thought about doing a giveaway before that would have the different words you'd need to know and like the top dozen languages or something and I hadn't thought of that one before okay so I could keep going a, a, a ton here I want to go to mistakes and then we're going to go into the World Trade Center because there's so much to talk there what mistakes have you seen companies do when they're going international oh well a lot of it ha comes down to I mean we know the big ones that uh companies use when they don't when they when they give the name to a brand or to a product and they try to market it in in a, a new market where that name is negative in that market so we, let's take the 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 car example i can't even remember which uh, it's nova but that's a nova, right, right? no <laughs> use the one the matador the matador means killer, and that in one of the car, yeah. But no, I I don't know. yeah, I don't even remember the matador car. Which car was that? Um, that's what one of the brands tried to release back in the '70s, oh, and they yeah. did it in a Spanish-speaking country, yeah. and it just it meant killer, and it didn't work. But Nova is actually an urban myth because Nova means it doesn't go, but it's two words. And I know, but still, it is not. I, I never. I did not hear that it was a, a, a an urban myth because it it's still translated as such. Uh, even though it, in the in in Spanish cultures, it's two words, and the Spanish language is two words. It's still they still saw it as that. Uh, yes. Yeah. And we researched it and have come across that that didn't really happen, that the car ended up selling really well that it went. But not, I mean, your point is extremely well taken. I mean, when Coca-Cola and Atlanta company tried to launch in China, their original spelling of it was bite the wax tadpole. Yeah. <laughs> you know, not a good one. <laughs> so, okay. So brand names, if you don't test it, you can have a right. real big negative. Yeah. And, and I think just not using a, 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 an individual when you're doing your redoing your marketing uh, collateral into that foreign language uh, by not getting a, a native speaker to actually proof it mm -hmm. uh, and help with the, the writing or the, for, you know, the, the presentation of it, I think is a huge mistake. I think yes. it's very important. It's, it's one thing to get someone who is bilingual here in the US to draft up that marketing material. I personally, even though I'm comfortable with my conversational German and, and, with, and with my German overall, I would not feel comfortable uh, drafting up any kind of marketing material in German. Mm -hmm. 
Right. And that goes back to knowing where your specialty is. But that's, it's, it's interesting with companies that we've worked with that they'll do a translation, but then they still have to test it, particularly if it's a consumer product in each country. Exactly. Make sure that it doesn't have a hidden innuendo. Like one of the funniest stories I heard was here in the United States, we call slacks pants, but they call them trousers in the UK. This was on an earlier episode. And pants really means like undergarments. (laughs) So just that subtle word can make a real big difference. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So what other kind of mistakes? I think that's, you know, really good. You test your brand name, you make sure your marketing materials are either written or proofed by somebody in in country yes yeah and i'd say you could get a good translation company like us to do it but then we'll work with you to to make sure the proof is right right if you want to do that but yeah go ahead so the other thing that i have found throughout my career that has been a huge mistake is the the lack of or too little training especially when you're rolling out uh operations or procedures or um uh technology or whatever in uh your your overseas markets they're not giving they 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 would not give those foreign end users uh enough training on how to use whatever it is that they were doing whether it's a new uh application new system support system that needed that was being implemented or installed to uh new product usage to um uh specifications of financial instruments that the banks would roll out and market these around the world. Uh, if, if, you, if you don't train the end users how to, uh, to use this product and how to sell it or how to, um, I guess, how to use it, then there is difficulty in getting and su- being successful at that. That is a really good point. Is a really good point. Is you you might do a perfect launch. You might if, have an excellent launch, and you might have an extremely clever launch, and and a very catchy launch. But if whoever you're launching this to, whoever the end user market is, whether it's in house or it's a customer base or a co- consumer, if you're not uh, delivering the, the the training that communicates to them how that product or that application or procedure, whatever is used, then it's going to fall flat on its face. That's a, that's a really good point. So that takes it beyond the marketing material, but really into the training material and, and thinking about it. And that's really delighting and engaging with who your users are. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Um, And that would be something that could easily be, um, forgotten. So I think you also mentioned something about process and how you go about doing that. You were talking a bit about that when you um, saved the deal in Germany. When you were working for the big companies, how did you go about building a marketing strategy, a global marketing strategy to launch in new countries? When I was doing any kind of marketing strategy, it was first understanding the end user market was number one. Once I understood the end user market, I then uh, learned what that what that uh, uh, what was the delivery mechanism uh, to get that 
the messaging from our product to the end user, whether it's a consumer or an internal uh, client, who whoever that is, right? What is that? What is the the the, the vehicle to get it? Is it uh, is it marketing um, advertisements? Is it communications? Or is it an individual who actually goes and promotes the the product, depending on on what that vehicle is? And then I'm trying to then connect the end user, understanding the insights from the end user market to that vehicle that's delivering that product knowledge to the end user, making sure that they are actually connecting the dots and they're able to connect with those end users uh, and deliver that messaging and that product knowledge correctly. Because if there is cultural differences, we, we know that if there are language differences, they're an issue. But if there are even cultural differences on the way that product it, messaging is delivered or product knowledge is delivered, it's not going to be accepted right uh, by the end user. Okay, that's a, that's a good way to think about it. Connect the end user to the vehicle. See, that's a... To the vehicle, right. Yeah, that, and that's a big company kind of way of thinking about it. And for smaller companies, I wouldn't say, see them saying that. Now, this is where I'm transitioning into the World Trade Center. So you have all this big company experience with going global. And now you're at the World Trade Center where you're helping more small to mid-sized businesses Correct. right now. So talk to me about how you made that transition. And then we'll get into small and mid-sized businesses. So I was, I was fortunate that I actually did not reach out to the World Trade Center Atlanta organization, but they had reached out to me and asked me if I would be interested in joining the board. Uh, this was back in 2017. To be honest, I did not know that there was uh, more than one World Trade Center in the world. I spent 19 years working on, on and off Wall Street and the World Trade Center in New York, the Twin Towers, were part of my, my daily routine. Whether I came from Jersey into Manhattan, I, I would have to get out of the World Trade Center and change over to the subway system. Or when I lived in Manhattan and traveled down to uh, Wall Street, I always took the line that took me right into the World Trade Center. And then I, I got out and I walked to work. So the World Trade Center was part of my daily existence and my bank account was there and everything, right? So um, I thought, my, the, here's New York and then there's the rest of the world, right? <laughs> New York was the center of the world. Manhattan was the center of the world. And oh my God, the World Trade Center was the, cent was the center of all of that. I did not know that there were 330 World Trade Centers around the world. So when, I, when they contacted me, they... My ears perked up. Uh, I had to know more. And as I scheduled these meetings with them to understand more about who they are and what they do, and I had met with the president at that time, uh, Karen Locke, Dr. Karen Locke, who was also a uh, professor with Georgia State University uh, in their doctoral program. Uh, Karen had shared with me where they were, uh, they've been in existence since 1982, where, how they had, had evolved and where they, uh, they, the vision of where they might want to go. 
And when I heard that and I understood that at that time in 2017, 2014, 15, 16, 17, they were going through a turnaround uh, uh, um, uh, initiative. Uh, they they were in their hay they had their heyday. The stock market crashed in in '08, which impacted a lot of businesses, small and mid-sized businesses here in Atlanta. So it impacted the World Trade Center Atlanta's uh, operations, and they were going through this resurgence process. And they they asked me to to join the team to help them not only make that pivot and turn the organization around, but to uh, to envision and, and lay out the vision for growing it from there. And that's basically what I did. And and it kind of, and the World Trade Center not only this initiative of this turnaround and growth, which is my my corporate career because I did a lot of turnarounds, a lot of M&A turnarounds, a lot of growth strategies. Uh, it, this, this was my, my career, but it also tied my education into it as well, very nicely, because I wanted, uh, I was initially um, being groomed to go into the diplomatic corps. I saw business as the better vehicle to get what I ultimately wanted, and the World Trade Center and trade and investment uh, objectives was exactly what I wanted to do because the organization is about promoting trade and, and uplifting uh, the wealth of, of economies around the world. Okay, so that's what the mission is, promoting trade and uplifting economies around the world. What does that translate into actually what happens on a day-to-day basis at the World Trade Center? So the World Trade Center Atlanta uh, historically has uh, been a, an events organization uh, where we bring, uh, not only do we, we have programming that, is, that has been regular programming from month to month, uh, but there have been spotlight events of different markets and things like that, where we bring uh, companies, executives, um, entrepreneurs, uh, NGOs, government agencies, and markets together in order to encourage and facilitate that trade possibility. Because if the, if the executives and the companies and the agencies don't know about the capabilities and, and, and capacities of markets, trade can't happen. So you have to bring these together. And we're that facilitator that makes that happen. And, and again, historically, they've been this program and event uh, organization. I am wanting to take this even further to create uh, the World Trade Center uh, Atlanta as an innovation center, an incubator center, as well as an events and and, uh, uh, connector or facilitator of all of these these players in the community. And the community here in Atlanta is actually very, very large, but very fragmented. You have... Mm -hmm. 30 some uh, binational chambers of commerce. You have 70 uh, consulates and honorary consulates, uh, 16 dedicated trade offices, and 54 local chambers of commerce. So you have all these trade organizations 
that are working in very uh, very siloed environments without an umbrella organization that has that name and brand recognition that has the ability to pull them all together. And that's what I'm trying to do. Not only here in Atlanta, but around the world to start bringing our World Trade Centers, uh, those 330, I want to, I'm working on bringing the more active ones into our, um, into our uh, uh, atmosphere or, or hemisphere or whatever you want to call it, the sphere of, 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 of operations and influence, uh, where we are collaborating far more. And when people come to us, businesses or executives, we can make those introductions and collaborate more with those markets. And now what kind of businesses are you working with? So we work with any, any global businesses or international businesses or businesses that want to go international. So we do sometimes have businesses that are interested in expanding overseas, but they're not sure exactly where to go. Or they may have a target market where they would like to go into, but they don't know how to do it. We also have uh, uh, entrepreneurs and small companies from uh, foreign markets that want to come into the Atlanta market. Atlanta, of course, being the busiest, having the busiest airport in the world hmm. uh, from passenger travel. We're in the top 40s uh, cargo-wise, but we're extremely, um, extremely globally recognized hub uh, for commerce around the world. And this is all as a result of uh, the, the Olympics being here back in 96. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. I hadn't put all that together. Yeah. Okay, so any business that's interested in going global is going global. It's entrepreneurs, so anything to do with global, they could come to you for connections Correct. and resources. And is there payments for belonging or payments for services, or how does that all work out? Yes, so I mean, it depends on what the request is. We get some requests that I don't feel like charging for, uh, and I'll make those introductions. There are other requests that we have that may require trade services consulting. And we do partner with other um, uh, professionals in order to provide those uh, services. When we launch our innovation center, I want to pull more of that in-house. Uh, but we still are going to be doing a lot of collaborating with all of these other agencies and organizations that are here in the area as well as here in the U.S., to be able to provide those types of trade services. Uh, we do have a membership base. We have individual memberships and we do have corporate memberships. Okay, okay, so that's interesting. So I think what you were talking about was the trade services because I do know that the state and federal government offers all sorts of consulting but you have to figure out where in the state to go. So are you partnering with those like Mass Export and the New Hampshire International Law, International Trade? Yes. So, of International Trade. Right. Some of those are very difficult to get into. First off, you have to meet certain criteria. They only accept uh, a very limited number of clients. And the clients usually have to have, uh, let me take, for example, the U.S., commercial, Department of Commerce Commercial Services. They do, they do take about a dozen or so clients a year that are interested in exporting product from Georgia to foreign countries. And they will help that uh, 
that small or mid-sized company to um, execute and, and, and be able to uh, launch uh, in a new market. But their expectations are that you have so much money in uh, your uh, marketing and production and development budget to be able to do that. They don't charge for their services, but there are frequently fees on the other end in that target market, or you may have legal fees, or you may have IT development fees and marketing fees. So they'll give you the strategy, they'll help you with the strategy and they'll make introductions. Those kinds of things they'll do for free, but you have to have this budget that uh, to begin to start with, otherwise they won't even take you. And then they work with only a limited number of people, a limited number of companies. So it's not as easy to get into those, a lot of those programs. Okay, so that's the Department of Commerce. And then you have the state trade exporting where you can get the step grants. Right, um, I'm, not, I'm not very familiar with the grants. Mm -hmm. uh, I do know that there are some of those out there. Grants are extremely difficult to, to obtain, secure. We're actually starting the process ourselves as well because we just uh, secured our, we, we reactivated um, our 501c3 status. So we can now start applying for grants as well because we just launched earlier this year the World Trade Center Atlanta Academy. And we can now apply for those grants. So we're starting that process as well. It's, a, it's not an easy process. Uh, and you need a professional writer to actually do the, these applications for grants. Well, this, the step grants, I've known a lot of companies that have gotten them. They're fairly really? easy to work on. There's money that's left over. Let me um, check that out. Yeah, yeah, I think it's a tremendous resource for the companies that you're working with. And oftentimes the money's not used in an, in an annual cycle. So I think it's one of the best kept secrets. You know what? You just taught me something. Thank you. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> <laughs> but I think ultimately you've defined what the problem is. There's no one place to there go. There is no one place. I mean, no. do I go to the chamber? Do I go to the World Trade Center? Do I go to the state? Do I go to the Department of Commerce? And so I love your vision for consolidating that because right. the global it's so fractured and, and I think that this is actually a course that we should probably add to our uh, academy is the grant writing and grant application course because I think it's a worthwhile course that a lot of people uh, would probably get a lot of benefit from I think that would be a fabulous idea. And then they'd just become aware of the grants too. Yeah. So tell let us me, more let me about make note of that. Do I have to give you credit for that? No. I will. Absolutely. <laughs> no, just when they get their step grants, send them to us for their translation, because that's where there we come go. in. I don't I don't take credit. I just want to do a good job. <laughs> so the World Trade Center Academy, I know that's been a big launch. Yes. Yeah, so tell yes. us about that. We are very, very proud of that. They, uh, there was as an academy at the World Trade Center Atlanta years ago uh, when we um, had physical space downtown in the SunTrust building. That was in-person training. Uh, of course, the world has changed since then. This was back in the, the 90s and early 2000s. Uh, we've gone online now. So we can do both in-class, in in-person training, classroom training, as well as online training. 
when uh, the lockdown happened last year with the coronavirus, our, uh, our historical revenue stream of events and conferences and programming uh, um, uh, stalled for a while. You know, we, we all, uh, we all um, kind of dried up and being able to charge for uh, uh, these events that we were having because everybody was going to Zoom. So we, we had to pivot quickly. And when I stepped up to president at the end of 2019, one of my initiatives and, and goals from even starting on the board back in 2017 was to bring the World Trade Center Atlanta Academy back again and, and, and make this available worldwide. Because now with uh, in the internet, we can access markets that we would never have been able to access in the past. Right. So we've been working with our initial uh, content provider, Birch Tree Global, to uh, to with Janet uh, with Janet Walsh. She's a wonderful woman and a yes. great uh, partner to work with. Uh, she and her team have developed the Global Market Entry Program, and the program has been branded uh, as the World Trade Center Atlanta Academy Global Market Entry Program. So she, I did a podcast interview with her before. And so anybody listening, go back and listen to hers because she is the pro on crossing, yes. crossing borders to do business. Yeah. Right. So I can only talk about the vision itself. I can't really get into the details of the coursework and the program. I mean, there are four modules to it, strategy, uh, finance and legal operations and, uh, uh, I think there's HR in there. Uh, I can't remember what the, I can tell you that actually, uh, exactly what those four modules are. Right. Well, yeah, but strata, I mean, you're covering all the things yeah. that, you, you know, people can go look it up to find the four, right. but you've got it's strategy, on our website on WTC, yeah, WTC Atlanta, uh, com under the Academy uh, tab. Perfect. You can find it all there. It's, Strategy, economics and finance, corporate entity, and the operations. No That's marketing it. or communications. So the marketing and communications is part of uh, one of those modules. I think it's part of the strategy module as well as uh, the um, uh, operations. Communications okay. and marketing is part of the operations uh, module. Okay. Yes. And you know what? We may even want to have a a course that is delves even more deeply into uh, into uh, market international marketing and that kind of stuff. Well, because you know, my adding, book is coming out. This is something we need to talk about because yes. we are adding to our uh, curriculum, our catalog of available courses uh, that can complement nicely this core program that's core track uh we're adding a business pro international business process improvement oh nice uh, and international it support uh and we are we're, we're we're in talks beginning talks with the abcs of custom customs brokerage so all these things can are, are nice complements to our core track and as we identify additional ones and this could be a very good one we can add those Good. Yes. Those, uh, and uh, yeah, custom brokerage and logistics, you might have that in operations. 
or transportation, we have, we uh, shipping. We have logistics in there, but we don't have the actual ABCs, the, the, the front line, the, the, the desk people and the front first line managers who manage brokerage. Right, right. You know what, we're, we're, we're running out of time and I could talk to you for another hour because you're so fascinating, but I got to switch over to personal stuff. Okay. <laughs> Maybe we'll do episode two. So yeah, I, I, here's my switch is I got to ask you, what's your favorite foreign word? Oh my God, what's my favorite foreign word? Uh, it's probably the word that I taught my husband that he uses all the time and it's German. In German, uh, it's a German word and it's genau. It means exactly and you can use it uh, in almost every kind of conversation. Anybody says something some, to you, as long as it's not a question, they say a statement to you and you can say, you don't have any idea what, what, what they're saying, just say genau. How do you um, spell that? Genau. G-E-N-A-U. Genau. I like that. It's just yeah. an acknowledge yeah. I hear you. He uses it all the time uh, because I you know I, I speak to our we have two cats. Uh, and I speak to our uh, and we've had dogs in the past. We I speak to all our pets in German because they seem to understand and respond. <laughs> to that German guttural sound far more than they do English. Oh, how funny. Uh, and I, I, I've been able to train them and get them in line very quickly. <laughs> uh, so he hears me saying all these things to them. And then, I, of course, I talk to my, my aunt, my uncle in Germany, my cousins. And he has no idea. He can pick up little things here and there. And every now and then he'll throw in, you know. <laughs> Or when we're in Germany, uh, the two of us are in Germany together and with, we're with relatives. And of course, they all want to reminisce and they want to, or they want to talk about politics. Or they want to talk about this, that, and the other. And so we have this, I have this very engaging conversation with them. And he, he kind of understands the theme of what's going on because he can see my facial expressions or hand movements or whatever. Uh, and every now and then he'll throw in, just to be part of the conversation, genau. <laughs> and everybody bursts out laughing because it's perfect timing and it works. <laughs> so he knows you well enough just to look at the, the exactly. time to put it in. <laughs> oh, I love that. That's a great word. How about your favorite vacation? Oh, without a doubt, the Alps. Oh, nice. Tell me yes. why. Or more. Um, when we were, when I was young and uh, uh, we went to Germany to spend our summers in Germany as a family. And then at the age of 11, I started traveling uh, to Germany by myself, transatlantic, to spend wow. my summers with my grandmother. Uh, every, and even winter vacations when we would go and spend a month in Germany for winter. Uh, over the holidays, but those summer vacations, uh, we would take anywhere from two weeks to a month and be on vacation while on vacation. And that vacation was always down in the Alps. Over over the uh, winter vacation, we would usually spend a week, not more than not more than two weeks, but usually a week down in the Alps to go skiing and things like that, and just enjoy it. So it, it was always. It was always a vacation while on vacation. Oh, 
I love that. Who else has a vacation while on vacation? That is something to aspire to. I love that. <laughs> well, now, do you, you get know, back there at all? When, when you, yes. When, and when you have to keep, you have to understand and keep in mind that when you're going back to visit relatives, you're going yeah. back not to vacation, but you're going back to live life as they live life on a daily basis, right? And so you may take a little day trip here and there, but a, vaca a, real, a, a true vacation is always necessary. And they, in the summertime, they usually take the month of August as vacation in Europe. Yeah. Uh, and so the family then can go together and be on a vacation while we're on vacation. Right, right. No, it makes a lot of sense. It's, it's yeah. just funny saying it that way. How about a very memorable cross-cultural experience with something funny or unusual or unexpected that you had? Oh, my Lord. So uh, when I was uh, working in Paris in 19... It was either 1979 or 1980. I think it was 1979. In 1979, uh, I was uh, one of three non-Ivy Leaguers selected by Princeton University to participate in the Princeton in France program. And I worked in, at, at, uh, a, um, at a, a Scottish tailor that... Um, cater to the diplomatic corps and to the very wealthy of Paris. Mm -hmm. uh, this was all men's suits and stuff. So I learned a lot about suits and, and cuts and all these other things. Uh, but my, my role was to uh, entertain these customers when they would come in uh, while the tailor was working with another customer. Uh, I, was, I was there to keep them busy and my languages enabled me to do that. Uh, and they always found that funny. Well, as a result, I would get these invitations to embassies and to government uh, uh, barbecues. And one of the one of the invitations was to the minister of France's minister of finance, his uh, rooftop penthouse barbecue. And there were, I mean, there were. Mind you, there were a number, uh, there were at least, I want to say 30 people there, 30, maybe 40 people, I can't remember. It was, it was very busy. Uh, I was just a, a, a little nobody that was attending this, right? Although a lot of people knew who I was because of um, uh, the, the, the wife of the Minister of Labor had befriended me and the two of us used to go hang out together and do a lot of things. And, uh, and because of that, a lot of people knew either who I was or they knew me, right? And I remember we were standing in line for the, uh, the, the, uh, the buffet, the barbecue buffet. And I made this comment in French, uh, wanting to say, my, what a long line this is. And I said this in French, and I am not going to say it in what I actually said in French, because what I said was instead referring to a man's genitalia. <laughs> and the entire, uh, the entire place stopped and turned around and looked at me. And the wife of the Minister of Labor said, you have no idea what you just said, do you? <laughs> and I said, 
I just said it was a big line. And she said, no, that's not what you said. And she told me what I said. And of course I turned back at everybody and I smiled and everybody burst out laughing. <sighs> so it was, it was a very ice-breaking moment that certainly got me even more noticed <laughs> uh, that I certainly enjoyed. But it made the entire afternoon a very fun afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> and I can say that I made a, that I kind of made a fool of myself. I embarrassed myself in front of uh, France's uh, top ministers. Elite, right. <laughs> <laughs> and, and consular and, 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 and the ambassador corps. <laughs> Well, you know what? That kind of served you well because you got an introduction, you were memorable, and you rose to the ranks the rest of your career. So how exactly. funny. Yeah, and what an appropriate way to handle it is just go kind of whoops and get everybody laughing rather than I, embarrassed. I smiled and everybody started laughing and I laughed right <laughs> along with them. I mean, I laugh at myself. This is where the humility comes in play and, and comes in is very important is to be able to know that you're going to make a mistake and be able to laugh about it. Yes, yes, that's absolutely fantastic. I love that. Well, we have run out of time, but I'm sure people are going to want to reach out and find you. Where are the best ways that people can find you? So they can reach out to the World Trade Center Atlanta itself directly through our website, uh, wtcatlanta.com. My email address and I, uh, I'm happy to share this. I'm going to get bombarded with emails, so if I can't answer everybody immediately, please be understanding. Uh, my email address is very easy. It's, it's simply max, M-A-X, at WTCAtlanta.com. Oh, fantastic. That is nice and easy. I love yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> so I appreciate you being on here so much today. Wendy, so I have, I've had a wonderful time. I hope that... Uh, I hope that I've done your podcast justice and 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 contributed to the 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 prestige of the podcast and your uh, and your company. But uh, I've had a, I've had a fun a fun time here. Oh, good. Well, I could have gone on for another hour asking you questions. I still have a ton more, but you know what? We'll save that for next time. Bring me back. I'm happy to do it again. Okay. Well, thank you, listeners, for tuning in. I hope you learned something from Max. If, if nothing else, go check out WTC Atlanta or find the World Trade Center close to you and, and make sure that we're all pulling these global resources together because there's a lot out there to support people who want to do international business. And those that do international business have higher revenues, higher profits, they pay their employees more, and they're more stable. So there's a lot of reasons to do it. So I hope you enjoyed this podcast. And um, I'd appreciate it if you go in and, and give us a five-star rating if you enjoyed this episode, um, realizing that I've been uh, forgetting to ask people to do that. So I'd appreciate it if you do that. And we'll look forward to talking to you next time. Bye-bye. Wendy, thank you. Bye-bye. That's a wrap for this session. A big thanks to you for listening to the Global Marketing Show. Hope you had just as much fun as I did. New sessions launch weekly on all places you find podcasts, Apple, Spotify, Google Play, and of course on our website. If you know someone interested in this topic, please tell them about us. Au revoir for now.